A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. For MPB comes from University of Mississippi School of Education, offering online master's degrees in elementary education, higher education, and early childhood education. Your master's degree can be earned online in as little as one to two years. More information at education.olemiss.edu. Good morning. It's 8.30. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Green Party presidential candidate Jill Stein brings her campaign to the state. The bottom line is that we live in a democracy in this country. We're not limited to two choices. And politicians do not have this new form of entitlement. They are not entitled to our votes. They have to earn them, and they haven't earned them. Later, a story core conversation from Mississippi on being a single mom in the Magnolia State. And the Departments of Corrections and Mental Health work together to treat at-risk prisoners and reduce recidivism. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Party presidential candidate Jill Stein is campaigning in the South to let voters know there's another option in the November 8th presidential election. Though national poll numbers show her registering between 1 and 3 percent, she still had a message for supporters at a town hall meeting in Oxford last night. Stein tells correspondent Matt Kessler her candidacy for the Green Party makes her uniquely free from outside influence. I'm the only candidate in this race that is not sponsored by lobbyists, by big corporations, and by super PACs. So I'm the one candidate that actually has the liberty to stand up for everyday people and what we urgently need. I'm a medical doctor by training. I'm not a professional politician. You could say I'm practicing political medicine because it's the mother of all illnesses and we got to fix our political system so we can get down to everything else. So I'm the one candidate standing up for what we really need, an emergency jobs program to solve the emergency of climate change, uh, a bailout for the students. We bailed out Wall Street. It's about time to bail out Wall Street's victims, young people. I'm calling for higher education that's free as a human right, for health care as a human right, a welcoming path to citizenship and to police violence, and for um, a foreign policy based on human rights and international law, not this catastrophic regime change policy that is robbing us blind and making us less secure, not more secure. Now, if a listener were to think, gee, you know, I liked Bernie Sanders, I don't know who to vote for, I think Jill Stein might be the right vote for me. Would that be a correct assumption, an incorrect assumption? Yes. I mean, some people say we're Bernie Sanders on steroids in this campaign (laughs) because we're a revolutionary campaign in a revolutionary party. Bernie had the right ideas. 
but the Democratic Party didn't like where he was going and sabotaged him the same way that the Democratic Party has really undermined all of its real progressives. Dennis Kucinich, who they redistricted, uh, Jesse Jackson, who they ran a smear campaign against, Howard Dean, the Dean scream. So, you know, we're sort of the Sanders campaign turned loose to actually build for what we need, an economy that's working for all of us. And in our case, we're also calling for a foreign policy that's consistent with our high ideals and our vision. Monday evening, Republican Senator Ron Paul said that you were the best on foreign policy. Were you surprised that he came out and said this on Fox Business Network? I was really delighted because, (laughs) you know, it's true. He's been the one person standing up for a rational foreign policy. Um, I think it's great. You know, I think we're on the same page around civil liberties as well. And, you know, the need to end, for example, the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act, that uh, legalized incarcerating people without charge or trial, you know, an assault on our civil liberties. There's been an assault on our privacy rights, an assault on our First Amendment rights, on freedom of speech, on the press. Uh, You know, we need to stand up for the basics of democracy, and that goes hand in hand with a foreign policy that's not, you know, based on imperialism and corporatism and militarism. You know, we can have an America and a world that actually works for all of us. There is, you know, there is this strange um, kind of confluence across the spectrum from the right and from the left. Uh, I think we're talking about basic principles of democracy here that everyone understands. So Forbes magazine was hectoring you to release your 2015 tax statement. You did. You had an income of 350000 You paid tax of 80000 As a presidential candidate who has paid your taxes, I'm curious about your reaction to the news that leaked this weekend about Donald Trump. Yes, that Donald Trump... Uh, appears not to have paid taxes for 18 years. And, you know, this is a guy who's who touts his success, but his success seems to be about cheating American taxpayers and not paying his share as one of the wealthiest, you know, men, he claims, uh, in the U.S. Uh, his success is predicated on abusing his workers, on sending jobs overseas, even though he says, you know, he doesn't believe in it. That seems to be what he's been doing. He, in fact, advised other people to do it as well so that they could hike, um, or hike their profits and lower their wages by sending, the, uh, closing their factories and sending their jobs somewhere else and then bringing them back in the case of Michigan, Michigan, where he was ad- advising this kind of convoluted strategy to, um, you know, to really squeeze blood out of his workers, cheated students at Trump University, uh, and appears to have, you know, the most, um, what should we say, kind of criminal and uh, low-level business connections around the world as revealed in this study by Newsweek. So, you know, I think this is a case of buyer beware. (laughs) You know, watch what, what you're being rooked into with Donald Trump. You know, he, he's a guy that would be hard to have as your next-door neighbor, let alone as your president. And it's no wonder, you know, that he has the highest ratings of dislike and distrust of any presidential candidate. And Hillary Clinton, you know, is, is not far behind him. So the bottom line is that we live in a democracy in this country. We're not limited to two choices. 
And politicians do not have this new form of entitlement. They are not entitled to our votes. They have to earn them, and they haven't earned them, which is why, you know, we think the key here is to open up our democracy, open up our debates, let the American people hear from the full choices that they have, and then let's let the American people decide what direction they're going to go in. Correspondent Matt Kessler with Green Party presidential candidate Jill Stein. She was at a town hall meeting at the Lyric Theater in Oxford last night. Ken Weston is a Jill Stein supporter. He tells Matt Kessler she's speaking best to the issues that matter most. Jill Stein is speaking to all the issues I believe in. She's talking about the economy. She's talking about foreign affairs. Uh, She's talking about social justice and, and police brutality. And she also has a positive vision for the future. All of that stuff is what I'm looking for. In your question that you asked her, you, you spoke a bit about your personal story. Would you tell our listeners a bit about your personal story? I mean, you know, I grew up hearing about this American dream, you know, and uh, I'm quite certain that me and my family, my grandparents, my parents, I, my children, we've all followed, you know, uh, the, the golden rule, as she said, you know, do unto others as you do it yourself. And, uh, and I just don't see that we've got the... Uh, We've collected the benefits from that. Uh, I I graduated high school. I went to trade school. I graduated trade school. It was paid for by industry at the time. Uh, But the jobs just weren't there, which I've heard her say. So she knows that. And I was really impressed that somebody who wasn't living my life actually knew what I was going through. Uh, My boy, he graduated high school. Uh, I couldn't help him because my pay was so low. But he managed to get the loans that he needed to go to the university. And when he graduated, they wouldn't give him his diploma. They wouldn't give him his, uh, his degree because he still owed them money. Uh, apparently, he, they had to pay right away. He, they didn't give him any kind of lead time. And so all this stuff just makes me sick because I really don't see a way out. I mean, I'm surviving. I have enough to eat. I have clothes. But I, I had the impression that somehow families were supposed to gather wealth from one generation to the next. Um, I'm living in an old house. It's not a house I bought, you know. My mom and my dad, they bought their own houses, but they were small houses. And uh, I don't know how my children are going to own a home with the pay that they're making. It's, it's all going downhill, and I just don't think it's supposed to do that. Do you think that uh, Jill Stein's new Green Deal platform offers the solutions that you're looking for? It's certainly in the right direction, but yes, yes, yes. All we need is for industry to recognize they have a social responsibility to pay fair wages, if not high wages. I uh, got an opportunity to see with the Green Party group, uh, Where Do We Invade Next, Michael Moore's film, and I was surprised to see that his topic was actually how other countries help their citizens obtain wealth. Pencil workers were making good wages with good benefits. I just uh, really opened my eyes. Something's wrong here in the United States of America. Correspondent Matt Kessler with Gary Weston, a supporter of Green Green Party candidate Jill Stein. Up next, a StoryCorps conversation from Mississippi on being a single mom in the Magnolia State. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio. Hey, y'all, I'm Felder Rushing. Ain't it a great day? Now, my truck stands out around town. A garden in the back will do that. You can make your car truck stand out with the new MPB Car Tag. MPB Car Tag. 
It's a great way to show your support for MPB. Visit mpbonline.org and sign up for yours today. Woohoo! In this Mississippi stop on the StoryCorps mobile tour, we hear the story of a single mother, Ruth. After her divorce, Ruth raised four children with no child support. Working full-time left her little time for her kids, according to her daughter, Carol Gifford. Here, Gifford talks with her own daughter-in-law, Kristen Bloom. I think it was hard for us. We felt like it was a very tough time. I don't think I felt sad for my mom then because I didn't realize what she was going through. I was too young to understand it. What I understood was that she had very little time with me. And one thing that really got me angry when I was little is that she always wanted to take naps on the weekend. And I didn't <laughs> understand why. And I would I would say, you know, that's that's not fair. I want to play and you want to take a nap. Later in life, when I look back on it, I recognized that she was probably exhausted, right. totally exhausted. <laughs> and she needed time for herself in whatever way she could get it. But right. it was hard for her. Do you think that she felt really alone? Yes. I think she was very lonely. She didn't have a lot of uh, family support. Her brothers and sisters didn't live nearby and were not available to help her. It was a hard life. You would never know that she had such a hard adult life because everything that I knew from her was just everything was wonderful. Yeah, I think she felt like she had a new lease on life when she retired. When she retired from work, she finally had time on her own to herself that she could do what she wanted. And and I think that really changed her outlook on life, maybe. She saved money in retirement to take trips, mm -hmm. mainly to see her family because her family was the most important thing in her life to her. Mm -hmm. And so she spent a lot of time spending time with them and really getting to know her children as adults and her grandchildren. Her grandchildren are probably the things she cherished most in her life. Yeah, I know just from the stories you've told me that she loved to have the kids come over. and <laughs> She loved to have my children in particular. She loved to have her three grandsons come over and visit her Sundays. She would take them to church with her. And after church, they would come over to her house and play. And she would let them play anything they wanted to, unlike at their <laughs> own house. <laughs> so <laughs> they would often play professional wrestlers and dive off the top of the sofa, <laughs> things that they were not allowed to do at their own house, but they could do it at grandma's. And they made food with her. She always made special food for them. She made her famous cornstarch pudding, which, <laughs> which doesn't sound that good, but it is good. <laughs> And they loved it. And she made iced tea all the time. She loved iced tea. And all of her children and grandchildren learned to love it. And she made special mint iced tea and would always have the kids walk down the back steps and, and take mint from the garden and bring it up to her to put in her iced tea. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah. all of um, my children remember doing that. Oh, was she strict as... A mother, because as a grandmother, she seemed to be 
just let them do what they want. But I know many grandparents take that. She was she was not strict as a mother. She was not a strict disciplinarian. She was very relaxed. <laughs> and I don't think that I picked that up from her. <laughs> I wish that I would have picked that up from her. But she was very relaxed and very willing to talk to children about what they did wrong. She she never believed in corporal punishment in any way. Hmm. And she also never raised her voice. She did not raise her voice. She never swore. And she had lots of reasons to be angry and upset about a lot of things, but she just didn't get upset. She was in control. She was calm. Never let you see her being upset. Right. I mean, once in a while, I think I can remember maybe twice that she got really, really upset and said, damn. Wow. Oh <laughs> that gosh. was the extent of but it. But <laughs> as a single mom, you would think that being exhausted and stressed, that you would have to be so much more strict and you would get upset easily. That's impressive. She always said, you know, you should do what you believe in. And it doesn't matter what everybody else around you says if you believe it. And if it's something you feel strongly about, that's what you need to do. Yeah. So she was very supportive of that. And she was the kind of mother that you could call and talk to about anything. So I would call her on the phone when I was not living in the same town and even when I was every single day and mm -hmm. talk to her. And even now, even after she's been gone for so many years, there are days that my first thought is when something happens, I have to call my mom and tell her that. And then I realized, oh, can't do that anymore. That's hard. To hear more of our conversations from the StoryCorps Mobile Tour, go to mpbonline.org. The StoryCorps Mobile Tour visited Mississippi through a partnership with the Mississippi Humanities Council, the MPB Foundation, and Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Your home for the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. Talking about a loved one's end of life is not something we look forward to, but most of us find ourselves having to face this issue at some point. This Tuesday, Unrelatively Speaking, we'll be discussing end-of-life issues and how to help a loved one through the process. Learn to honor your loved one's wishes and not feel guilty when you have to make tough decisions. Relatively Speaking, this morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi's Department of Mental Health and Department of Corrections are working on a pilot project aimed at reducing prison recidivism. The program will give specialized treatment to 90 nonviolent inmates with mental illnesses and substance use issues. MDOC Commissioner Marshall Fisher tells MPB's Desiree Frazier most prisoners in the state return to society at some point, so it makes sense to help them function in the free world. I can tell you the, the count today for people who inside our institutions is uh, roughly 19,300. And of that 19,300, we have approximately 3,200 who have been diagnosed with some sort of mental health issue, if you will. 
out of the 19,300, we've got approximately 15,000 offenders who have self-reported abuse of narcotics and or alcohol. So that tells you that's a pretty fair percentage of uh, our, our offender population. And so we, through some of our relationships with our partners in mental health, we entered into some conversations and, and uh, ultimately the folks in the A&D program, alcohol and drug program over there, offered to work on a grant that we, we could uh, use both resources from the mental health department or rather the Department, department of Mental Health and, uh, and Department of Corrections. And w- with as many people as, as we have who are uh, entering, you know, re-entering society back on parole, we felt like uh, mental health's proposal to look at people in the community corrections area, which is, which is probation and parole, who have co-occurring mental health and substance abuse disorders. Uh, the purpose is to identify those people within 90 days of release, piloting a program here in Hines County that would affect the target is at least 90 offenders in a three-year period. And the basics of how it would work is they'd be released. Not only would they have, will they have a parole officer, they will also have a credentialed mental health professional who will be able to point them in the right direction for resources that they would need upon being released into the community. And with the number I gave you there earlier, about approximately 3,200 inmates that are diagnosed with a mental health disorder, almost makes us the de facto mental hospital for the state. And if you think about it, you said 3,200 are diagnosed, but chances are there probably are a lot more that haven't been diagnosed. Is that correct? Chances are. And of course, I'm not a credentialed mental health professional, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me if we have a substantial uh, amount of people who have some sort of issue that hasn't necessarily been diagnosed. Our current recidivism rate, and that's measured in a three-year three-year period, is like 31.9 percent, which is better than the national, which is around 41 or 42 percent, I believe. But I, you know, we think we can do better. We're excited about the fact that the Department of Mental Health has offered to work with us. We believe that not only by working with the, the individual parolees in the Community Corrections uh, Division of Department of Corrections. We also are including uh, training for our own staff in how to deal with people with mental health issues. And we, we think that is, that's extremely important in a crisis intervention situation, which they deal with on a frequent basis, where if we've got credential mental health professionals who are teaching our people, is giving the basics and methods of just how to talk to somebody who's experiencing a mental health episode. A win-win situation, Mm -hmm. uh, if if you will, and we believe this is a start of something that's going to positively impact people's lives, that will positively impact people's lives that some of us will never meet. And working toward breaking the cycle, if you will. Frequently you'll, you have, and the people in the recovery community can speak, and recovery and treatment community can speak to this better than I can. But if, you know, you tend to have people get into recovery and they, they get into full recovery after maybe multiple experiences with treatment, and when they begin to change their lives and begin to view the world in a different way, the world looks, looks different to them, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so it impacts their children, maybe their children's children, and you 
have a potential to break a cycle. One thing I've learned in the 21 months that I've been in corrections, and you know my background is not in corrections. I've been in law enforcement and government service all these years. But one thing that I have learned is we've got three different pieces here that we've got to look at with, with respect to recidivism and rehabilitation. In order to reach the point where they want to enter into recovery, you got to have treatment. The treatment side, you got to get the fog out of somebody's head to where they're thinking clearly to get them to a point where maybe they're willing to accept the fact that their their lives have become uncontrollable due to due to addiction, whether it be addiction to drugs or addiction to alcohol. Addiction is addiction. MPB's Desiree Fraser with MDOC Commissioner Marshall Fisher on a program aimed at reducing recidivism among state prisoners with mental health and substance use issues. Coming up after Mississippi Edition, it's Money Talks in Legal Terms and Southern Remedy. And remember, if you want to catch the show outside the broadcast, just search for Mississippi Edition in your favorite podcasting app and listen whenever you like. It's easy. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi Edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, offering online master's degrees in elementary education, higher education, and early childhood education. Your master's degree can be earned online in as little as one to two years. More information at education.olemiss.edu. It's Marketplace Tech for two.